0: Turn with me over to the book of John. We're going to read an extensive passage of scripture today that highlights exactly what happened during the resurrection. The title of the message is Finding God. Finding God. Verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter And to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together, and the other disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but did not go in. And so Simon Peter, verse 6 also came in following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had come to the tomb, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered and saw and believed, for as, they, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So, verse 10, the disciples went away again to their own homes But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. When she had said this, they turned around. She turned around and saw Jesus there. And did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, verse 15, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Verse 18. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Father, help us as we study. This account of the gospel is pretty extensive and very detailed. And probably the reason John wrote it the way he did was to make sure that anybody who had doubt regarding the resurrection of Christ would be able to, conf- to, to, to assuage that doubt and unbelief by looking at the details of how Mary encountered Christ and say, this is a factual account. It's not just a religious account. We look at the scriptures as being a book that is wrapped in in religion and and belief and indeed we should look at it with great holiness and hold it in reverence but we would do good every once in a while without departing from our reverential fear of God's word to look at it as a factual account of things that occurred because the people who wrote especially the four gospels in the new testament were people who initially did not believe anything that Jesus said or believed that he could do what he said he was going to do These were cynics, skeptical human beings wandering around, going about, doing what they thought was best with their own life and then abruptly halted by the will of Almighty God as ministered through Christ. He changed everything about them which brings all the more credibility to Scripture and that people who were cynics now believe for some reason those reasons of the facts which are so undeniable that the intellectual, if he really studies it, must come to the conclusion, even aside from faith, that what this Bible has to say is true. That the facts surrounding what Jesus went through and who he was and what he did and how he came about to be the resurrected Lord cannot be denied because there are too many witnesses that did not believe prior to the resurrection but do now. And they didn't have a corporate hallucination. It wasn't like all of them just saw something at the same time and then just were delusional and, and, and believed something strange. He's, the scriptures is saying in Corinthians he appeared to 500 people at different points. 500. Now you want to call all of them liars just after he raised from the dead. After he rose. 500. Oh, the facts. Just the facts without the faith are undeniable that this miracle occurred. But we're going to do our best to dissect this moment because the humanity allows us the privilege of stepping into the resurrection moment, and we can live in that environment just for about 25 minutes. Here's Mary. Mary's doing everything she possibly can to attend to the body of her Lord, the man who had saved her, if you will, from circumstances in her present situation that were untenable, indeed, so unlivable mary of magdala was a woman who had who had, had seven demons cast from her i realize the medical profession in the psychiatric world does not believe that demons exist i got that they believe that all all issues of the mind and brain can be solved by chemical imbalance uh, uh, and, and and adjustment of, of, of drugs and and medication so that now people can begin to think right and i don't have any problem with the fact that the brain is just as much a part of the body as the body is. And that there really are sometimes things that just don't, don't connect as they should. Chemical imbalances that cause people to think and behave the way they should not. And that through medication you can be healed just like you can through any medication of the physical body. And you can be helped. But I do not discount the fact that Jesus who always said truth had to cast some devils out. I don't discount the fact that demons actually exist and if they did did, excuse me I'll say it this way and if they did not exist then why in the world would not Jesus have just gone ahead and healed somebody the brain as he would a lame person who could not walk a blind person who could not see oh there may have been accounts where that was done that we don't have any record of remember scripture is just a highlight reel it doesn't give you the entire game You're just watching the the, the slam dunks and the incredible no-look passes. That's all you're watching. We don't have all the miracles that Jesus did. In fact, John said at the end of his gospel, if everything that Jesus did and said were to be written, there wouldn't be enough books to proclaim what he did. So it very well may have been that one time Jesus just touched somebody's head and they began to think right. I don't have any problem with that. But there were times when he said, "Eh, thinking right ain't going to help you. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. All the medication, not going to assist you. here. You got some devils. They need to come out. Let's go. Bye. Go, 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 go. And the authority that was in him, that's distributed by the Father And that which was innate to his nature because he was God Almighty allowed the kingdom of God and its power to be expressed against the greatest enemy and threat to that kingdom. And whenever he said a demon had to go, it had to go, and it represented victory on the earth over what the enemy had had for centuries over mankind. He was huge. Out of this woman came seven. Seven. Now, one's enough to really mess you up. Just one is enough to mess you up. Two will give you more than a bad day. Seven, my God in heaven, there's barely—you can't do much, and you aren't just a—you aren't just—you don't become just a recluse. We're by you just hide out in your home and get depressed all day long. We're not talking about something that can be handled with Simbcor. <laughs> this woman had a reputation in Magdala. She was called Mary Mag- Mary Magdalene because she was from a town called Magdala. She had a reputation, and generally nobody wanted to be around her because she in their minds, was nuts, dangerous. And Jesus was the only one who could help this woman. He came in and said, I'm going to assist you. I know nobody else wants to be around you, but I do. Come here. Demons, go. All of a sudden, she was restored to her right mind, and all she wanted to do was follow him in gratitude. God has delivered me from so much stuff. I didn't have seven demons. I don't think I had one, but I did have... Thoughts and actions that weren't consistent with gospel behavior. And God has delivered me from so much stuff that all I want to do is follow Him now. I want to be a great husband to my wife. She deserves better than I give her. But I got 27 years of faithfulness. And I plan to have every day after until the day I live the same testimony. I love her with all my heart, though she deserves better. I want to be a great friend to my friend's. I want to be an excellent pastor. I want to be the best Christian anybody has ever met. Not because I want people to pat me on the back because I deserve no, none of the accolades anybody would give me, but because I want to honor him for what he's done for me. I want to make an impact in this world that says Jesus was here, his fingerprints on my actions. That's what I want to do. That's the only reason I'm still on the planet, is to do something great for him, because he did something so great for me. Mary of Magdala was coming to the tomb that morning. She couldn't finish what she started because Jesus had been crucified just before the Sabbath. And you could not let a body hang on the tree. In, in Hebrew, in the scriptures, Old Testament, couldn't let a body hang on the tree for the Sabbath. So what they had to do is bring Jesus down just before the Sabbath started. Now, in Hebrew calendar, the day started at 6 p.m and went to the next 6 p.m. That was the entire day. It's not like our days, which start basically at 6 a.m., if you will, or 12 p.m., or however you want to put it. But theirs started in the evening. So the Sabbath started at 6 p.m., which meant they couldn't do any work after that. So they did the best they possibly could at embalming the body in their way of doing it, trying to preserve the remains, emollients, myrrh, wrappings, all kinds of things. But they couldn't finish. And so they put the body in the tomb, And they had to come back after the Sabbath, 24 hours, to finish. And this is what Mary was doing early that next morning, saying, I got to go finish my job. And she was going there to finish. Now it was the third day, meaning Jesus was crucified on what we would call our Friday. But it was their, how do I say it, their Thursday? It was sometime around noon when he was crucified on Friday. That part of the day was one. Saturday was two. Sunday was three. Any part of a day was considered a whole day. That's why Jesus could rise on the third day. Mary was coming on the third day after the Sabbath, which was all day Saturday on, on, in our count. Are you following me? <laughs> it's just confusing when you get to the time frame. But Mary was coming that morning. So she comes getting ready to do her due. And she has no idea that Jesus has risen from the dead. She's coming to finish. And, and not just to finish, but she's, she's doing all she can to try to fill the void on the inside of her. You know, this, this whole crucifixion thing happened quickly. Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem with great fanfare and hope. Everybody was believing he was going to unseat Pilate, who was the resident puppet ruler of Jerusalem, kick out Herod, who was the ruler of the Jews, and then set up his kingdom. That was... That was like on a Monday, Sunday. By Friday, they were killing them. And so the disciples hadn't had time to get their head around and say, what happened? I don't know that anybody had enough opportunity to say thank you. To really tell them how much he meant to them. Mary getting up early in the morning when she could have let the day linger. You, there's this sense that he he was so special. I got I got to go do something. And there was something on the inside of her that probably needed to be fulfilled in terms of caring for the body as a way of saying thank you for what Jesus had done. And many times we go searching in the wrong places to try to find fulfillment. We search in our careers. She was searching in the tomb, but Jesus wasn't there. We search in finances. We search in relationships. We search in a lot of places to try to find life. But if that thing that that we're searching the, the category that we're seeking doesn't have life and it can't give it to you there's no life and career anything on this planet everything on this planet is temporal and life from God is intended to be eternal so when we search in the wrong places to try to find that thing which is lacking in our lives to fill the void this huge God-shaped hole and we try to fill it with something else it just does not work She's searching in the wrong spot to try to find any kind of fulfillment in her soul. And she comes to the tomb. Now, let me give you the circumstances of the tomb. Because the evidence, again, demands that we say it couldn't have happened any other way. You you don't even need faith to understand the facts that Jesus rose from the dead. You need faith to apply the benefits of that cross to your own life and that he can live through you now. But you don't need faith to understand the facts. The facts are this. He died, they put him in a tomb. This tomb was, was, a, was a carved out cave in a, in a semi-mountain, and, and, and there was a slab in there, and then they would put a stone in front of the hole in which they entered in, in order to put the body there, and the stone was approximately 2,000 pounds, and the stone w- was leveraged against another small rock so that it would not move, but it was on an incline and they would build the, the, the tomb in such a way as if the tomb had, a, had entry points on either side to a V. And the entry point to the tomb happened at the, the crevice of the V. So there was a rock that would hold the stone in place, it would be the covering to the, to the entryway, and they would remove the rock and the stone would then fall into, into place. Now 2,000 pounds is tough to push level. The only way to move it away is if you now move it uphill a challenge secondly this stone was placed in a spot with a roman seal because jesus had said during the week if you if you destroy this temple i'll raise it up in three days now nobody believed it but they said you know his disciples might come and steal the body And if they do, then the the second rumor will be worse than the first one he started. And we'll have more problems. So we better do something whereby we put a seal on the stone, a Roman seal, so that if anybody breaks it, they're under threat of death. And we put a guard in front of the tomb. Not one guard, but a guard, plural, which represented 36 Roman soldiers. All incentivized because if Jesus was removed, that body was removed from the grave, all of them would die a death with their own clothes, burning them at, their, at the stake. That was their penalty if they, if they didn't do their job. That'll make you stay awake at night and not go to sleep on guard watch. <laughs> 36. 36. When Mary comes to the tomb, the stone is rolled away and the guards are gone. We, we learn from another gospel what happened during the night. That these angels came... And kind of said, Sleep. I don't know what they said, what they did, but whether they waved their hand or just they looked these, these guards looked at the angels and said, Ah, and then fell over? I'm not quite sure. But thirty-six men got knocked out. Thirty-six. They all ran back to their authorities saying, Um, yeah, uh, listen. Uh, uh, something happened and like we, we all fell asleep. We didn't try. We really like, and, and, and the, where's the body? Yeah, about that. Um, he's, he's gone. The penalty that the men were supposed to suffer, they did not because the men who put them in charge, the folks who gave the orders, couldn't explain it. 36 Roman soldiers all fell like dead men. And the stone was rolled away. Well, why was the stone rolled away? Two reasons. One, how would we know that he had risen from the dead if the stone wasn't moved? Now, Jesus didn't, know, Jesus didn't need the stone moved. Is, something about his physical body post-resurrection allowed him to make matter not matter. And so he was able to just go through walls and doors and just show up. So he didn't need the stone removed. But we needed it removed so that he, we knew he was risen. Mary comes and she sees the stone rolled away and she runs back and tells Peter and John oh my goodness they've taken him we don't know why they've taken him again she doesn't believe he's risen from the dead Peter and and John run to the tomb they look in and it says they believed but they didn't believe he'd risen from the the dead they believed what Mary said that the body was taken away because they didn't believe her who would do that with a guard of 36 men now the, the Israelites and, and the, the, the ruling powers thought the disciples would do it. <laughs> yeah, these brave guys. <laughs> these courageous men that couldn't even show up to the crucifixion. Are you kidding me? They're hiding out in an upper room someplace hoping that the same fate does not await them that, that took over Christ. Scared to death. <laughs> they run because they can't believe anybody has broken through the guard. Who took the, what, who, who would be incentivized to do it except us? really nobody loved him like that everybody hated him why would they take the body i can't believe that mary you see and stuff so they had to come all the way and they looked in and they believed she's right the body's gone they run back tell everybody mary runs back to the tomb and there she is weeping now it doesn't say she would do in the hollywood keep your eyes open no facial expression (laughs) drop a tear down your cheek cry that ain't weeping weeping is when you are convulsing when you, when you can't ki- that, so much so that God had to send two angels. Gentlemen, you ever been to the place where you can't console your wife? She's crying. Oh, I don't know what in the world to do. I have no idea. God sends two angels and the angels say, why are you weeping? Mary says, They take it, but Lord, I don't know where they laid him If you didn't let me know, I'll go get him The angels run back to God and basically say, We can't do nothing with her. <laughs> she is gone. I mean, she's completely gone. We tried, we gave our best, sorry. So weepy is she, so depressed, inconsolable is she that Jesus has to show up. Now he was on his way to the Father. That's what he said. I'm on my way to the Father. But see, Mary, when you got seven demons, you can get them cast out, but there are things that are broken in your soul, things that just aren't right, and sometimes only Jesus can help you. Have you been in a moment where your soul was so broken and people tried to console you and it didn't help, and Jesus showed up to help you? He sometimes breaks out of his routine and schedule to come to attend to your needs angels go back. I don't know what to do. Jesus shows up. Now, Mary she doesn't think Jesus is risen from the dead, remember. So she finds him but she doesn't recognize him. Turns around, sees somebody standing there, thinks it's the gardener. Says, listen, if, if you tell me where you're taking him, I'll go get him. You ever been in a place where You saw somebody who was out of place. They weren't supposed to be where you were. They were someplace else. And you recognized it, but you just couldn't pick. You couldn't get the name. If they were in the place where you knew them to be, then you'd understand who they were. But they weren't in the place where you knew them to be, so you couldn't figure out who they were. That's where Mary was. Jesus shouldn't be there. He should be there. And so she didn't even recognize who he was. Tell me where you've laid him. And I'm telling you, you've had many opportunities to understand who Jesus is. But today is a moment where your eyes can be open. He has appeared to you in many forms. And this today may not be your most desirable little black man with a pink bow tie talking to you about Jesus. But I'm telling you, he's trying to let you know he's coming to meet your need. Don't get all confused with me. Allow Jesus to minister through me to you. And hear his voice when he calls your name. Because when he calls your name, he says it like nobody else. Mary. Oh, when he said Mary. See, she would heard that many times. And it made her wake up. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Rebodei. And now, now, now something happens. She recognizes him. And it says she turns when you hear the voice of God calling your name, it's not just enough to acknowledge. It's not enough to recognize. You need to act. You need to turn. Turn from the life you're living. I'm grateful for Easter and Christmas. Poinsettia and lily Christians come. And I am so happy. I'm not down on you for not coming the other 50 Sundays of the year. I'm not mad at you. No, no, no. I'm happy you come too. I really am. But I'm hoping today that you would do more than just acknowledge. That you you'd do more than just clock in. That your recognition of Christ and how much he loved you, hanging around to serve you because he knows how broken you are. That your recognition would cause you to turn and change your mind, change your actions, change your mouth, change the way you're living. She turns. Now something happens between verses sixteen and seventeen. I don't know exactly what, and the writer kind of leaves it to to our discretion to figure it out. So I'm gonna help you figure it out today. It says she turned, and then the next verse, verse seventeen says, Jesus says, "Mary, stop clinging to me." So you, you ever you ever hug somebody who who liked you more than you liked them? maybe was more appreciative of what you had done for them than what they had done for you, and you hugged them. Now there's a general unspoken rule about hugging. When you're embracing someone who is not your spouse, girlfriend or boyfriend, generally it's kind of a, a two-second rule. Hug, one, two, break. <laughs> then they're right. I mean, we don't put it down on paper, but then we know it to be true. But when somebody hugs you after the two-second rule, and you know they're violating something now, something's going on that ain't going on in you, that's going on in them, and you're kind of that uncomfortable, do do you re-engage the hug? Do you go limp? What do you do? What do you do there? They just won't let you go. This is what Jesus said, woman, you're going to have to stop now. I had not even been to the Father. I haven't said hello to Daddy, and you won't let me go. When you turn to Christ, never let him go. Amen. Hold on to him. She lost him once. She wasn't going to lose him again. That man had helped her so much, delivered her from so much. All she wanted to do is just cling wish Christians would cling and not have moments on a Sunday where they get so emotional and forget about it on Wednesday cling, hold on to Jesus said I got to go <laughs> I got to go, you got to let me go I got to go and not only did Jesus have to, go, have to go but she had to go he said I have to ascend to the Father and you have to go tell some folk what happened here Go to my brothers. Go and tell them that I ascend to their father and my father, my God and their God. Tell them. After you have clung to Christ, your responsibility is then to go and share that, the beauty of that relationship with somebody else. Go and share with all those folks that don't know a thing about what it means to call God daddy, to feel his loving, loving fatherhood on, on their life. To know what it means to be an inheritor of all things he has. To know what it means to embrace eternity and to live right with integrity here. To be able to live in power and grace every day, whereby you don't have to submit to sin and its tendencies. Temptation is not your victor, you are its victor. And you can live in victory. I'm not talking about perfection. There's nothing about my life that could ever be confused with that. But I am talking about consistency. Christians ought to be the best example of humanity and how to live. When you cling to him, it's all you can do but live right. And then you help other people to do the same by doing so. So that when they hear what you say but can't figure out what you do, they don't feel like there's some discontinuity here and they don't want to follow you because they call you a hypocrite because you are now clinging to and talking to then they can say I've never seen a believer like you on the planet so consistent with his life in every area and loves me enough to try to get me to cling to him like you do that's what a Christian ought to be on the regular I'm done